Greetings, my peeps, and welcome to the All Things Basketball Podcast with your boy GD. In this episode, I'll be doing my player spotlight for the month of February. I'll be covering Alex English, guys. So I'll be covering him and all that he's done in the NBA. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Okay, guys, it's your boy GD back with the All Things Basketball with GD podcast. Guys, we are in February, which means we are in the midst of Black History Month. And with that, as I always do, I like to do player profiles for the month of February. So we're going to get it started in that regard. To kick it off, I'm going to talk about a man Vastly underrated in the eyes of NBA fans and historians alike. I say that because the NBA itself had a top 50 list. And then they came back 25 years later with a top 75 list. And this man's name was nowhere in there, which I was stunned about. But this is a man who deserves his place among the top 75 players. In fact, the Athletic listed him amongst the top 75 actually put him at 71 the 71st best player ever to play in the NBA and that man's name is Alex English born Alexander English a small forward playing in an era where each night it was a battle in terms of small forwards back in the late 70s but pretty much the 80s where each night you had to go up against the likes of a Julius Irvin, Larry Bird, Dominique Wilkins, James Worthy, Bernard King, Mark Aguirre, Purvis Short. I mean, you had a host of guys. Marcus Johnson as well, another underrated player. But to me, Alex English, I think, is one of the most overlooked players in the history of the NBA. So, like I said, he's a small forward. 6'8", 190 is the weight he played at. He's born in January 5th, 1954. So, in fact, he just turned 70 years old, guys. Born in Columbia, South Carolina. Place I'm familiar with. Gotta check my family tree. Maybe he's on it. But that's a story for another day. His mom named him after former king of Macedonia. Alexander the Great. So she named him that, expecting great things from him. Needless to say, his mother was pretty prophetic in naming him that because he has turned out to be all that and then some. He spent his early years living with his grandmother while his parents worked up north in New York. He first started playing basketball at the age of 10. So Alex, very young having an interest in basketball. He attended Han Junior High School, and then later he would enroll in Drehar High School in Columbia, South Carolina. While playing there, he started in 79 games. He had a 31-point average as a junior, which garnered him national attention. In fact, after being recruited by over 100 colleges, Alex decided to stay local by attending the University of South Carolina, which is right there in Columbia. 
And this happened in 1972 that he would enroll in that college. Being coached by the legendary Frank McGuire, a coach who previously coached at places like St. John's, also the University of North Carolina, which makes for interesting dynamic there. Alex saw his game develop and blossom under the tutelage of McGuire. He became the third African-American scholarship recipient at the school. He started in every game during his four years at South Carolina. The record he amassed while playing there, 81 and 30, including two NCAA tournament appearances. I'll talk about his numbers at the school when I get to his accolades. Alex graduated from the University of South Carolina with an English degree in 1976. Alex's interests while in college were literature, poetry, art, and sculpture. He went into the 1976 draft and he was selected 23rd overall and he was picked in actually the second round. The sixth pick in the second round to be exact by the Milwaukee Bucks. Notable names in that 1976 draft, John Lucas, who went number one overall, coming out of the University of Maryland, and he was drafted by the Houston Rockets. Adrian Dantley, who was drafted sixth, coming out of Notre Dame. He was drafted by the Buffalo Braves. Robert Parrish picked eighth in that draft. He went to school at Centenary College in Louisiana, and he was drafted by the Golden State Warriors. Also in that draft, Dennis Johnson. He was also a second-round pick as well. Picked 29th, playing for the University of Pepperdine, and he was picked by the Seattle Supersonics. And Mike Dunleavy, who actually was Alex English's teammate at South Carolina, He was picked by the Philadelphia 76ers, but he was picked in the sixth round with the 99th pick. So, Alex enters the NBA. He spends two frustrating seasons with the Milwaukee Bucks, mostly on their bench. He was playing behind the likes of Bobby Dandridge and Junior Bridgman. And actually, during his rookie season, He did appear in a slam dunk contest that was held on May 1st, 1977. And it was a contest between him and Mickey Johnson, who was playing for the Chicago Bulls at the time. Ironically enough, they end up teammates further down the road. I'll tell you all that later. And one of the judges in the slam dunk contest was Sam Jones, someone who I profiled on this podcast But Alex would lose to Mickey Johnson in this slam dunk contest. But as I said, yes, two frustrating seasons he spent with the Milwaukee Bucks. And the first year he played behind Bobby Dandridge and Junior Bridgman. And then later the following year, they drafted a rookie by the name of Marcus Johnson with actually the third pick in the 1977 draft. So... Obviously, Alex English buried under guys who the franchise saw more highly of. 
But Alex did show flashes in the playoffs in 1978 where he ended up being the third highest scorer on the team. And he did that coming off the bench, guys. After the 1977-78 season, Alex would sign with the Indiana Pacers as a free agent. Back in that time, when you signed as a free agent, you still had to give compensation to your former team. And Milwaukee was given a 1979 first-round pick as compensation for Indiana signing Alex English. Oh, and they used that pick to draft Calvin Natt. I'll talk about Calvin Natt later. So, while at Indiana, Alex did show improvement. In fact, he finally became a starter. And in that first season for them, 1978-79, he started in 81 games, averaged 16 points, over 8 rebounds, well over 3 assists, he shot it from the field over 51% and from the free throw line above 75% for him. Then the following season, he played 54 games for the Indiana Pacers, but he ended up getting traded, guys. He got traded to Denver along with a 1980 first round pick in exchange for veteran forward George McGinnis who actually previously played for the Pacers back in their ABA days. The coach at the time, Slick Leonard, wanted to bring McGinnis back to Indiana, hoping to catch lightning in the bottle, which wasn't to be the case because McGinnis only played two seasons there before he stopped playing altogether with. But Alex goes to Denver and at the time, Denver was coached by Donnie Walsh. Donnie Walsh, you may know of him being a Indiana Pacers front office person, GM, so forth. But at this time, he was a head coach for the Denver Nuggets. And also, he has a connection to Alex, being that he was one of the assistant coaches under Frank McGuire at South Carolina. So Alex really began to flourish in those 24 games that he played for them. Over 21 points per game, well over 9 rebounds, well over 3 assists, 1.2 steals, as well as 1.2 blocks. That's what he averaged in those 24 games for them. Then we move on to 1980-81 season where he played under Walsh still, but Walsh was fired mid-season or so, and they ended up hiring interim Doug Moe. And that was the year that Alex really put the league on notice. The team did end up finishing 37-45 and 45 on the outside looking in in terms of playoffs, but Alex for that season... Played in 81 games, averaged 23.8 points per game, 8 rebounds, 3.6 assists, 1.3 steals, and 1.2 blocks. Shot it from the field above 49% and 85% from the free throw line, guys. And this season actually would begin the start of nine straight seasons where Alex had a 23 points or more average in terms of scoring. And also on that team, he had guys like Dan Issel. 
He had David Thompson there. So you had a high-powered team, guys. And it seemed once he played for Doug Moe, Doug Moe liked to push the tempo. Doug Moe, I would say he was somewhat like, like a Mike D'Antoni in terms of having his offense, pushing the ball up the court, putting pressure on the defense. The only problem, just like Mike D'Antoni, team's defense was lacking, to put it mildly. But nonetheless, that was his first full season in Denver. Then we move on to 1981-82. That's his first All-Star campaign where he makes his first All-Star game and the first of eight straight he would make, guys. And then this season, he played all 82 games. He finished fourth in the league in scoring, averaging 25.4, also 6.8 rebounds, 5.3 assists, over a steal per game, and a block and a half per game. Shooting it from the field, a whopping 55%, actually above that, as well as 84% from the free throw line. The team that year finished 46-36, and 36, and they would make their first playoff appearance with Alex there. And they actually bowed out in the first round to the Phoenix Suns. So, Alex English, his first successful campaign with the Denver Nuggets, where the team had a winning record, and he received his accolades in terms of making an all-star game. And also that year, guys, he made second-team All-NBA as well. Fast forward to 1982-83, his second all-star appearance, his second All-NBA making the second team, so he's done that twice in a row. He would lead the league in scoring this season, guys. 28.4 points per game, above seven rebounds, nearly five assists, 1.4 steals, and a block and a half as well. Shooting it from the field, 51.6% from the field, and nearly 83% from the free throw line. His team would finish second in the Midwest Division at 45 and 37. They made the playoffs. They defeated Phoenix in the first round. They finally did that, guys. And then in the semifinals, they would lose to the San Antonio Spurs led by George Gervin. So the Denver Nuggets getting a little taste of success in the playoffs there. Uh, at least advancing above the first round. Moving on to his 83-84 season, third All-Star appearance, then he would be boistered by the emergence of Kiki Vanderway. Alex English, he played all 82 games that year, 26.4 points per game, which was fourth in the league. His teammate, Kiki Vanderway, would average 29.4 points per game finishing third in the league. So Alex, even on his own team, was second in scoring. 5.7 rebounds, 5 assists, 1.2 blocks, and a steal per game for him. From the field, shooting at nearly 53%, and from the free throw line, above 82%. But the team that year, though, did not have a winning record. 
They were 38 and 44, finishing third in that Midwest Conference. They did make the playoffs, though, with that record, but they lost in the first round to the Utah Jazz, led by Adrian Dantley. But in that season, guys, they would make NBA history in what is the highest scoring game in NBA history. Although they were on the losing end, it was a game played against the Detroit Pistons, and this was played at Denver in the Nichols Sports Arena. That was their arena at the time. And this game was on December 13, 1984. It was a triple overtime game, guys. But as I said, Detroit Pistons prevailed 186 to 184. Wow, that's a lot of points, guys. And then mind you, this was like in the beginning stages of the three-point shot being in the NBA. In that game, guys, you know how many threes they made between both teams? Just two three-point goals and one for each team, ironically enough. Actually, they were one for two from the three-point line, both teams. So this is before the three-point shot kind of revolutionizing the game. Leading the way for the Detroit Pistons, Isaiah Thomas, a player I profiled. 47 points, 17 assists, and 4 steals for Isaiah. John Long, 41 points for him, 8 assists, and 3 steals. And Kelly Trapuca with a nice game, 35 points. For Denver, Kiki Vandeweghe with 51 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists. Alex English right behind him with 47 points, guys. 12 rebounds, 7 assists. And Dan Issel with 29 points and 8 rebounds. Moving ahead, guys. In 1984-85, Doug Moe and the powers that be in Denver decided, look, we can't even stop a cold over here in Denver, so... We need to get tougher on defense, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to ship out Kiki Vandeweghe, and we're going to bring back guys like Calvin Nat, Fat Lever, and Wayne Cooper from the Portland Trailblazers, which is what they ended up doing. So for the 1984-85 season, which would be his fourth All-Star appearance that season, the team went 52-30. and 30. Their best record so far with Alex English in the fold. Alex for that season, 81 games he played in, nearly 28 points per game, 5.7 rebounds, over 4 assists, and over a steal per game. Shooting from the field, just about near 52% and nearly 83% from the free throw line. They finished first in the Midwest Division. They won in the first round against the San Antonio Spurs, beating George Gervin and those guys. To the semis they went, facing a Utah Jazz team led by Adrian Dantley and beating them, kind of exacting a little revenge in that regard. And then they would go on to the conference finals against the L.A. Lakers, and they lost to them four games to one. Actually, in that series, Alex English broke his thumb in game four. And a lot of people would say that kind of turned the tide against the Nuggets. 
and that is probably why they ended up losing that series. And then the Lakers would go on to win the championship that year. But that by far was Alex's most successful run in the playoffs. Then we move on to the 1985-86 season, his fifth All-Star appearance. And this year he got back to all-NBA status, second team. He played in 81 games, guys. He averaged 29.8, so nearly 30 points per game, which was his career best, guys. And he finished third in the scoring that year. Five rebounds, four assists for him. 50.4% from the field, well above 86% from the free throw line. His team would finish 47 and 35, second in the Midwest. They would beat Portland in that first round. And then in the semis, they would lose to Houston. The Rockets with those twin towers of Ralph Sampson and Hakeem Olajuwon, a player I profiled as well. And then we move on to 1986-87, his sixth All-Star appearance. The team only went 37-45 and 45 that season, guys. And they ended up losing to the Lakers in the first round. Alex would play in all 82 games. He scored 28.6 points per game, which was third in the league. Above four rebounds and over five assists for him. 50.3% from the field. 84.4% from the free throw line, guys. So that year, not as successful as one would like to see from Alex and his team. Then we move to the 1987-88 season where he will have another all-star appearance, guys. Played in 80 games. 25 points per game, which was ninth in the league. 4.7 rebounds, 4.7 assists. Shot at 49.5% from the field and nearly 83% from the free throw line, guys. In this year, his team would have their best record with him as their go-to guy. 54-28 and 28 is what they finished, which was first in the Midwest Division. They won in the first round against Seattle, a high-powered Seattle team that had Tom Chambers, Dale Ellis, and my man Xavier McDaniel. But in the semifinals, they did lose to Dallas, led by Mark Aguirre. They would lose to them in that second round in a bit of an upset there. A successful season in the regular season, postseason not so much. Moving on to 1988-89, where this would be his last all-star appearance, guys. It's eighth in a row. And with this team, you know, they have the likes of a Michael Adams there now. You got a Walter Davis coming off your bench. So the team went 44-38, and third. They finished in the Midwest Division. And they did lose in the first round to the Phoenix Suns. A Phoenix Suns team that now has Kevin Johnson and they acquired Tom Chambers as well. So they were losing that first round. Alex himself appeared in all 82 games. 26.5 points per game, which was 6 in the league. 4 rebounds, 4.7 assists for him. Above 49% from the field. So you see his 
field goal percentage starting to wane a bit and 85.8% from the free throw line, guys. And then his last season in Denver, he's at age 36 now, guys. The 1989-90 season, he would only average slightly under 18 points per game, 3.6 rebounds, and nearly 3 assists. And he would see his playing time diminish as well, guys. Shooting it above 49% again, guys. But he's taking six less shots per game. And he shot at 88% from the free throw line. The team itself finished 43-39, and 39, which was fourth in the Midwest Division. He did make the playoffs, but they lost to the San Antonio Spurs. This was the new-look San Antonio Spurs now. Now they have a guy named David Robinson in the middle there. Also, you have guys like Terry Cummings there, Sean Elliott, Rod Strickland as well. So definitely a different looking team, guys. But that would be his last taste of playoff basketball. Going into free agency that following season, Denver decided not to bring him back which kind of left a sour taste in his mouth. So he ends up signing with Dallas and what would end up being his last hurrah. He saw a Dallas team with promise. They had guys like Roy Tarpley. They had guys like Rodney McRae. But that year, he was the backup to Rodney McRae. And also they had his former teammate, Fat Lever. That's what it was. But Fat Lever got injured four games into the season, and he was out for the year. And then Roy Tarpley, between injuries and his drug problems, he only played five games in and no more for the rest of the season. The team ended up going 28-54, and 54, guys. Alex played in 79 games. He only played about 26 and a half minutes per game, guys. He averaged 9.7 points over three rebounds. Not good from the field, guys. Close to 44% and then 85% from the free throw line. He was released by the Dallas Mavericks after the 1990-91 season. No one would sign him, so he went overseas to play in Italy for Team Basket Napoli, where he averaged slightly under 14 points per game in 18 games overseas, which he played there in 1992. Then following that, he retired from the game of basketball, guys. So Alex English, now retired. After his playing days, he actually, from his work with being a player rep, which he was for their union, would follow him as he is named director of player programs for the MBPL, National Basketball Players Association. Being in that position, he was a liaison for the MBPA and the Retired Players Association. I've talked about them when I talked about Oscar Robinson. He was appointed as interim executive director of the MBPL 
and he was actually in the midst of their negotiations with the NBA when they had their negotiations back in 1995. Then he did TV work as an analyst for Fox Sports Network, also for Fox Rocky Mountain, where he did analysis work for the Denver Nuggets. He also co-hosted a show on CNN this week in the NBA. He also did some analyst work at NBA TV and also with the SEC Network calling games there. He tried his hand at coaching in the MBDL, a league that would later be called the G League. And he coached for a team called the North Charleston Logators. And he did this in 2001-2002 season. And his team actually was tied for the best record in the league, but they ended up losing in the championship. He also had assistant coaching stints with the Atlanta Hawks, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Toronto Raptors, and the Sacramento Kings, which would be his last coaching stop. And ironically enough, he was let go by the next coach who was... Mike Malone, who will eventually become Denver Nuggets coach. So, a bit of irony there. Held basketball clinics in Italy, South Korea, and Chile with Nikisha Sales. Nikisha Sales, a women's basketball player. She played at UConn. She ended up going to the WNBA. And also Candace Wiggins, another player who would end up going to the WNBA, but she played her ball at Stanford was also part of the Basketball Without Borders program as an NBA ambassador there. He also did work for the WNBA, actually for their players' union. He was a Board of Advocates member. Alex also did a bit of acting. He debuted in a movie called Amazing Grace and Chuck, where he played a Boston Celtics player who would, who would take a political stance against playing ball. It was about the nuclear bombs and so forth. So he took a stand in that regard. He appeared in other movies as well, like The Definite Maybe. And he also appeared in a movie called Eddie with Whippy Goldberg, where she was the coach of the Knicks. And actually, Alex in that movie, he was the Cleveland Cavaliers head coach. And he also did some TV shows as well, guys. He wrote poetry... I talked about his interest in poetry that he had in college. He wrote poetry. One of his favorite poets was Peter McWilliams. And Alex himself wrote nearly 300 poems. And some of them actually got published. And one of the names of the books was Sometimey Feeling Sometimes. He also had business ventures including co-owning Wendy's franchises with his wife, Vanessa. Also a company called Flick2 Limited. It was a sports marketing company. Hooplife.com, which was a website that provided basketball information. He had that. Green Smart Botanicals, which was a company that specialized in medicinal cannabis. So he's jumping in on that train there and then also european wax center he was a co-owner there and they were based in columbia south carolina 
He's also the founder of a nonprofit, Let's Share Foundation, that he had in 1989. This was a foundation used to help children and families in need. He started out in the Colorado area, and then that ended up being moved to South Carolina. So, that is it in terms of Alex English and all he did post-basketball. Let's talk about his accolades, and we'll just call it a day from there, guys. He was South Carolina's top career scorer up until 1999 when B.J. McKee would end up passing him. The total points he scored, 1,972 points. And he was the third leading rebounder for South Carolina at 1,064 rebounds. He was a two-time independent All-American in 1975 and 76. So in terms of the NBA, this is his career numbers, guys. 15 years, he played in 1,193 games. He averaged 21.5 points per game. Five and a half rebounds, 3.6 assists. He shot it over 50%, guys. 50.7% from the field, 83.2% from the free throw line. And then 1980-81, again, that would be the start of his nine straight seasons of 23 points per game or more. 1981-82 season would be the first of his straight 2,000 plus points seasons and he's actually the first player in the NBA to be able to tout those type of numbers guys and of course the eight straight all-star appearances he only had one scoring championship he did in 1987-88 he won the J. Walter Kennedy Citizenship Award And that goes to the person with the outstanding service and dedication to their communities. And it can be given to a player, a coach, or a trainer. So Alex got it that year. Guys, he would score the most points for the decade of the 80s. And mind you, he played in a decade with the likes of Larry Bird, Dominique Wilkins, Adrian Dantley, Moses Malone, Marcus Johnson, and Magic Johnson. And Alex would be above them all in terms of points scored. At the time of his retirement, he was 7th on the all-time scorers list. The names above him were Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, player I spotlighted, Wilt Chamberlain, Elvin Hayes, Moses Malone, Oscar Robinson, and John Havlicek. Alex would finish with 25,613 points for Alex. He set 31 Denver records, including career scoring, assists, games played, and minutes. His Denver jersey, his number two Denver jersey, retired in 1983. His college jersey, South Carolina, was retired, and he was inducted into the South Carolina Hall of Fame, and this occurred in 1988. 
He's been inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in 1997 and then in the College Basketball Hall of Fame in 2006. His high school jersey, number 22, retired in 2020. And just this year, guys, he's one of four recipients of the National Civil Rights Museum Sport Legacy Award. He was one of four people. The other three, Renee Montgomery for the WNBA, Calvin Hill, the father of Grant Hill, who played in the NFL, and Ozzie Smith, who played Major League Baseball. So those are your recipients there. And just this year, he was a keynote speaker during the Martin Luther King weekend. He was keynote speaker there for an event as well. So Alex English, we salute you, Alex, for all you've done in the game and outside of the game, helping to grow the game overseas as well. All your business acumen and all that you've done for the game of basketball. We salute you. We give you your flowers and say job and career well done. Alright guys, so that is it for this episode. Next time you hear from me, week 15 guys, it's packed and loaded with a lot of content guys. A lot went on, so I'll be here to bring it to you, alright? And then guys, as always, you know how to get in contact with me. Leave your reviews guys, leave it on the website, leave it on YouTube, leave it on Apple Podcasts as well. Like the videos wherever you see them, whether it be YouTube or anywhere else. Alright guys, so with that said, I thank you for listening as always. This is the first of four player profiles I'll do for the month. So just stay tuned and I'll let you know what's coming. Alright guys, with that said, I thank you for listening and we'll talk soon. Take care. Hello my peeps. Thank you for listening and supporting the All Things Basketball with GD podcast. You can find us on our website, allthingsbasketballwithgd.com. You can also email us at thatsportsdugd at gmail.com. Also listen and watch us on YouTube, All Things Basketball GD. Hit the like button when you see our videos. Also write a blurb about our show. You can listen to us on all podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple. Leave a review for us at Apple. On the website, you can support us by hitting the Buy Me a Coffee button, support on Anchor button, or donate on PayPal. You can also support us by our cash app, GD That Sports Dude. Once again, I thank you for listening and supporting the show, and do take care.